Colossians chapter 3. Now, I want you to notice, let's just read these two verses, and I want you to notice how they're written, because they're written, each, each verse has three parts to it. Colossians chapter 3, if I get there myself. All right. Colossians 3, verse 18 starts off and says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So each verse has got three sections. The first section is who's it addressed to. The second uh, section is what they're supposed to do. And the third one is to what to be careful of. So uh, tonight we're going to talk about uh, this, this, these two verses. And um, uh, we're going to look at part two of what a home should be like. And as the Apostle Paul writes to us. Now I want to say Paul's dealing with the fact that even a Christian home sometimes is bitter. Now, there are, there are two, last week's, we've learned that, what is a Christian wife? We learned what a Christian husband is. Are they perfect? Are either one of them perfect? No, they're not even nearly perfect, okay? We, we, I'm just, listen, you, 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 you couldn't believe how blessed you are if you have a Christian wife or a Christian husband. This is, this is such a gift um, that, that God has uh, given you, and you ought to thank God for every day. Now, both we're, being a Christian husband, a Christian wife means you're different. You're, you handle things differently than the world. You are different. And uh, that's normal. That's to be expected. But the wife is commanded because she's Christian. She is commanded to, and the word is submit. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands. I have found that many a woman uh, will submit herself to another woman's husband at the office, but she won't submit herself to her own husband. And that's a problem. So he starts off and he commands her to submit, and then he, the husband is commanded, as we notice there, to love. Love your wives. And that means a sacrificial kind of love. Now, that's a lot to work on. You say, oh, yeah, I love my wife. Well, let's ask her. And, uh, oh, well, I, I give in to him. Well, let's ask him. Okay? So when it comes down to it, we probably don't do it right, and we don't do it very well, and we don't do it very often. So there, there's... It's still not all finished. So when we get to the last part of these two verses, Paul throws in what we, used to, what we say in America, a monkey wrench. He throws in something that makes you go, what? And uh, the final commands to the Christian marriage is where we're going to start here tonight. The two final parts of the commands are this. Wives, submit because it is right to do. Husbands, stay clear of any bitterness. These two things, saying you submit because it's fit, and you love without bitterness. Now, both statements are dealing with the danger of bitterness. They're not just like, all right, do this and do that. Bitterness in a marriage is all too often. I think it's true that, um, uh, I think it's true that when you got married, if you're, if you're married this, this evening, you, you didn't commit your life into the care of someone else just to get angry and bitter at them for the rest of your life. That's not why you got married. You married probably because of love, amen? I hope so. And you can keep your marriage sweet by handling anger and hurt Christ's way. In a marriage, you have two people who are very vulnerable, very intimate, very close. And if, if, if there's ever going to be any hurt, it will hurt the worst. Even Jesus said it, quoting from, uh, uh, he calls Judas friend. And uh, in Psalms, it says it was not 
my enemy. It was my own acquaintance, my own friend who betrayed me. So that closeness makes things hurt more. Now, um, uh, I want to talk to you about bitterness in marriage, and I'm trying to race to get to the main thing because there's a very big subject when you talk about bitterness. You know, there are many bitter people in the Bible, all right? I could say there are many people, many bitter people in the world, but we'd, we'd be here for the rest of our life trying to list all the people that are bitter. But there are many bitter, bitter, bitter people in the Bible. Say that 10 times fast. Um, first one that you come up with, let's go to Job and uh, pick up here. We're not going to read all the scriptures, but I want you to see Job chapter 3. Answer me this. How did Job feel at first at the loss of his wealth, at the loss of his health, at the loss of his children? How did he feel? Grieving? Well, not yet, not at first. I'm using the word at first. At first, he was able to say to his wife, he said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is impossible. That's amazing. That was a good thing. But you know, as time went on, he cursed his very day of birth. Chapter 3 and verse 20, it says this. He started to get angry and bitter. And he asked this question. He says, wherefore, why is light, why is understanding given to him that is in what? Misery and life unto the bitter. So why are you making me understand the pain and the depths of pain and giving me when I'm so bitter. He doesn't stop there. I need you to go to chapter 7, verse 11. Chapter 7, verse 11. <clears throat> Job asked God to leave him alone. Listen to him. Therefore, I'll not refrain my mouth. I won't stop talking. I will speak in the... What's the next word? What's anguish mean? Hmm? I can't hear you. Extreme sorrow. Anguish usually is sorrow and pain so deep. He says, uh, I'm going to speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain to God in the bitterness of my soul. He didn't want to talk to his friends. He says, I want God to hear me. And he was bitter. Now, we know Job is an example of bitterness. Aren't you glad God brought him out of there? So bitterness is not terminal. It usually is, but I'm going to show you how not to let it. Job's wife, she got bitter. She wanted Job to curse God and let's just roll over and die. How about Esau? Uh, just uh, go to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, because this sort of illuminates. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Verse 15, Hebrews 12, 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Wow. Not that the grace of God fails, but that you can fail to trust in the grace of God. Be very careful, lest any one of us fail of the grace of God, Watch how it happens. It happens with any root of bitterness springing up and trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator 
or profane person. As who? As Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. And he found no place of repentance, though he sought for it carefully with tears. Who was he bitter against? Anybody remember? His brother. What did he want to do to his brother? Kill him. So don't be like Esau, the Bible says. How about Elijah? Elijah has worn himself out in that battle on Mount Carmel. And uh, uh, when Jezebel writes that letter and says, I'm coming after you, bud, and I'm going to kill you, all of a sudden he's so weak and he's so defeated in, in, in his flesh, he has, he has worn himself out with this little letter from somebody who couldn't hurt him. I mean, the guy took on 850 false prophets. The guy called down fire from him. But a woman's threat, this, this queen's threat, who never was a threat, I mean, Ahab never was a threat to him. That letter so discouraged him that he went for 40 days back to Mount Sinai. When he got to Mount Sinai, you know what God said? God said, what are you doing here? And he says, I've, I'm upset. I've been very jealous, very zealous for you. I've done everything right, and look at how I ended up. I'm the only one. The Lord says, no, you're not. And no matter how God reasoned with him, Elijah never got right. Elijah became bitter. You say, how can that be true? It happens to any one of us. I'm going to jump ahead of my mess. I'm going to say, everyone in this room, you either, you are probably still bitter at somebody you don't think you are, and you probably have never dealt with it. And what the devil wants to do is add somebody else for you to get bitter at, and it's somebody else, because bitterness like weeds, doesn't die naturally. So Jonah, how many remember Jonah? You know, Jonah was, was upset at God at first, and God made him go to Nineveh, didn't he? How many of you like being made to do something? Jonah didn't go, you know, Lord, I'm so glad you made me come and preach to those people. Look at them all get saved. I was so wrong. I was so hard-headed. I'm so... He never said that. There in Jonah chapter 4, when he watched as God's wrath missed uh, Nineveh and Nineveh was spared, he got so angry at God, he's kicking the dirt, and he, he says, I knew you were going to do that. And he was bitter against God. Do you know Christians get bitter at God? Jonah. How about Ruth? Go to the Gospel, gospel of Ruth. Go to the book of Ruth. It is the Gospel of Ruth when you read it, right? But uh, Ruth, after the book of Joshua, comes Judges, then Ruth, chapter 1, a woman named Naomi. She got bitter. By the way, she got bitter at God. Ruth, chapter 1, and verse 10. They say 110, but I don't think I want 110. I think I want... Where does she say no longer? Oh, it's chapter, it's like 210 or something. No, 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 no. Where is he? Which, oh, 220. That's where the thing. Uh, 120, sorry, thanks. I said, yeah, one, uh, 120. Here's the verse. So here is Naomi. She's come back into her homeland. She come back into Israel. Verse 20, and everybody's saying, is this Naomi? Wow, and she said unto them, now, Naomi means pleasant. Naomi is a beautiful word. She said, call me not Naomi. 
Call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. She says, call me bitter. That's not nice. That's, that's somebody who's very upset. Number seven, how about Hannah? First Samuel, keep going to the right. First Samuel. First Samuel chapter one, verse 10. Well, verse nine. <clears throat> now Hannah is, is in a marriage where she can't have children. And uh, verse 9, Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. And she, Hannah, was in what? Yeah. And she prayed to the Lord and she wept sore. She is upset. Now I say, listen, is it wrong to be bitter? Yes. But, it's not, but, but if you are bitter, it's wrong to think that it's okay to be bitter. She is bitter, but she feels, I've got to do something. And what is, the, what is it that she does? She goes to pray. And she's not praying some flowery prayer. If you read that thing, she makes a vow. I'm going to say she got bitter. Who's she bitter at? She's bitter at God for not giving her a child. And thankfully, God got her right. God got her right before she ever had the child. These are people that are miracles. I'll show you another one. This one's uh, rough. Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 25. When you're a mother and you have a foolish, ungodly son, you know what that'll do to you? It could make you bitter. You could say, I've done my best, I raised him right, and he still went wrong. All of a sudden, you'll look at God, and you'll go, God, what went wrong? How come you didn't protect my son from getting into that sin? You'll get bitter. Proverbs chapter 17, 25 says, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him. Uh, we could go on, Solomon got bitter. You ought to read the whole book of Ecclesiastes from the viewpoint is here's the words of a bitter old man. That's what Ecclesiastes is. Jeremiah is bitter. The whole book of Lamentations is such. He is, he's not bitter at God, but he is bitter at life and how things turned out for Israel. And he's like, why are they even God's people? He's bitter. How about Peter? Go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, 75. Peter has denied knowing Jesus, denied being one of his disciples. He even cursed his name publicly. Verse 75, immediately the cock crows, and Peter, remembering the word of, of Jesus, which said unto him before the cock crow, and thou shalt deny me thrice, he went out and he wept how? Now, sometimes we think bitter weeping is okay. I'm not so sure. It, uh, uh, there's... there's, there's um, Grief, but there's bitter, which means there's anger mixed in with that, those tears. And that's where the danger is. Uh, there's also a guy named Simon. We'll come back to him in just a few moments. Each one of these people and their bitterness is a study in themselves. You don't need a book on psychology. 
you need to look at these people and take it really serious and go, wow, they nearly, they, either they did self-destruct or they nearly self-destruct except for the grace of God. It is this, this, this kind of list of people is very helpful because God took the time to give us those people, to show us their hearts and their hurts and their responses. Sometimes the response was good, like Hannah, in the depths of her bitterness. Sometimes it was destructive, like Esau. Now, like I said earlier, most people in this room are bitter against someone. You won't admit it, but you're not just upset, you're bitter. Most of us don't know how to handle it right. And we usually just get more and more in trouble. So, let's talk about what is bitterness. What is it? Well, there's a couple of things. Number one, it is actually the opposite of your intention when you want to love your spouse. Bitterness is, 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 listen, you say love and hate, don't we? But if you love someone, you cannot hate them. But what you end up doing is you're bitter at them. You see how that works? And bitterness is the opposite of your intention. It's not the way that you want to feel about your wife. It is showing the only emotion that is opposite than love. You can't go all the way to hate, not if you love them. So you end up being bitter against them. You see, if you've been hurt and you love the person who hurt you, you will end up becoming bitter to them if, they, if you don't know how to put it away. You say, well, if they're not getting fixed, they're not getting right. Yeah, but that's what, that's what the devil wants, is to make it so that you become bitter at them because of their performance or their lack of it. And the devil laughs and loves it. Bitterness, secondly, is unresolved anger at an unchanging problem. Husband's not changing. And the wife, she just is not changing. All right. All of a sudden, you get angry, and I'll show you the path in a moment. And then that anger becomes wrath, and that wrath becomes bitterness. And you find yourself bitter because the, the situation you're in is not changing. Job. Job, I'm sure, when he, when he said, blessed be the name of the Lord there in chapter 1, and then the devil kept pouring on the grief, and on the sorrow, and on the health problems, all of a sudden the thing wasn't getting any better. And so because his circumstances weren't getting better, he became bitter. And so bitterness is unresolved anger at, a changing, at an unchanging problem. Now the only way you're going to understand that is when you look at the path down to the prison of bitterness, looking at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Now, I hope you've memorized this verse, verse 31. Ephesians 4.31, but if you've memorized, I'm going to tell you to do it backwards now because I'm going to show you a process that leads to bitterness. Verse 31 says this, let all, what's the first word? Bitterness. That's my goal. I want to make sure I never get to that point. Good. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all what? All right, so here's where we begin. I'm going to go in the reverse because this is the process which, which brings us to the place of bitterness. First of all, you've been hurt, and nothing is done about it. You sort of try to talk about it, and the other person doesn't understand. You try to explain it, and they, they, they don't want to understand. And so you're... What's the first thing you're going to do 
if somebody has hurt you and they don't care that they've hurt you. Gripe, okay, well, I'm actually going to tell you there's something there that he puts first. What is, what's the first word? It's actually the last word. Malice. You start thinking evil. You start going, he meant to say that. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> well, she, she did that on purpose. It, everything that comes out of our mouth first started where? In our heart. So you start thinking evil about the person who hurt you, and you start thinking, they're thinking evil. And it becomes a vicious downward spiral from there. So you start thinking evil. Then you start saying evil. <clears throat> so he says, be careful about evil speaking. When you start saying wrong things, hurtful things in response to the hurt. Then it moves on to another word. These are lovely Bible words. You ready? Clamor. Clamor is when you yell at those. They're not getting it. So I'm going to raise my voice. I'm going to make sure they hear me. And they start yelling back. <clears throat> How many homes have seen that escalate? Don't raise your hand. But nod your head. Somebody hurts you. You think they meant to do it. They probably did. And so you start thinking they meant it. And then they don't care. And they don't come to you and say they're sorry. So you say something. And they just ignore you. Or they start saying back. And then you get louder. And then they get louder. That's family. And it's not right. Then you move on from there, and it turns into full-blown anger. An intense feeling of injustice now. Then it moves on. What's the next level? Looking at the reverse of 431. Wrath. Wrath is you starting to carry out your anger. That's when you do something. That's when you're threatening to do something. Trying to make them pay for injustice. And what's the last thing? Then you get to bitterness. Bitterness is unresolved wrath, whether we express it or not. You may not say, I'm angry. But bitterness is a decision that this is never going to be resolved. So therefore, you'll find yourself poisoned and enslaved until it destroys you. Unless you face it head on, like we're going to try to do tonight. That's a very bad path, isn't it? That's not the way to have a home. Where's the seed that was planted that became bitterness, according to he, uh, Ephesians 4.31 in reverse? Where's the seed? Hmm? Nope. Guess what? We're all going to get hurt. Well, you're, you're right. He does say in the next verse, uh, forgive, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another. But where is the seed that became full-blown bitterness? What would you say? Malice. Now, it's very hard to think about what you think. Amen? It's very hard for you to go, I shouldn't be thinking that. <laughs> Especially when you've been hurt. So I'm going to say this. You probably, by the time you say something hurtful, you'll know it. And if you start to say something hurtful in response to the person that's hurt you, guess where you're on your way to? Bitterness. And that's your first indication that you've been thinking wrong. So evil speaking means saying something that ought not to be said. Bitterness is a poison that defiles everyone and you around you. Go to Hebrews, go to Hebrews chapter 12. 
Hebrews chapter 12. And verse 15 says this, looking diligently. It's like you're, you're looking for a, 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 um, a landmine. You're looking for something that's, that's severely dangerous in your life. You're examining yourself. You're not looking in anybody else's life. You're looking diligent lest any man fail of the grace of God. So what's the opposite of bitterness? Grace. And if you find yourself bitter, it's because you failed to grasp and hold on to and enjoy and give grace. So he says, he goes on, he says, looking diligent lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness, where does the root begin? In malice. If that root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Put that word poison in there so you understand what it means. Now I'm going to say this. <clears throat> um, go to Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16 and verse 45. Do you know there is a step beyond bitterness? That is terrifying. Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 45. Thou art thy mother's daughter, that what her husband? Wow, what a word that is. To loathe her husband, and she even loathes her children. Go to chapter 36. Chapter 36 and verse 31. 36:31. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree. Nope. 36. Oh, I'm in. Yes, 31. Then shall you remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good. And shall loathe not, not, no longer are they just loathing everyone. Who, if you get to that place where you've been bitter for so long, you'll end up loathing who? Yourselves. Wow. In your own sight, all because of your iniquities and for your abominations. Is that scary? So the problem is not your partner. Your problem is not that you've been hurt. You know what the problem is? Your heart. And if you don't grab it and hold on to it and pull it back from destruction, it will take you all the way down to a place where you'll hate yourself, not just the people that you're supposed to love. So, you can't stop your hurting. Don't ever say, well, I won't hurt. No, you know what happens when you say, that didn't hurt me. You know what you say? You know what you're doing? You're denying who you are. If you get hurt, you need to be able to tell them, that hurt. <laughs> you shouldn't have said that. You can't. You can't switch off hurt, but you must switch off and put away bitterness. Cause, bitterness is a prison. Let's go to Acts 8. Acts chapter 8. See, well, that better. You ever been bitter? Yeah. Who are you bitter against? I ain't telling you. <laughs> but it is a very serious thing that when you start to think about yourself and you start to look back at your life and see how you act around others and how you feel around others and you start to go, 
are the seeds of bitterness in me. Acts chapter 8, verse... Let me take you back a little bit. Uh, all right. Verse 17, then the apostles laid their hands on them and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 18, and when Simon saw, this is not Simon Peter, this is a different Simon. It's when Simon saw that through, now Simon's saved, he's a believer. But when he saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he decided, he said, can I pay for that gift too? Can I buy that? Saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with these, and I hope you die. <laughs> wow. Because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this manner. You're not an apostle. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the goal of what? And in the, what's the next word? All right, bond means bondage. So what was wrong with Simon? All he wanted to do was pay for a gift. It wasn't just that. That's what he did all his life. He thought you bartered. He thought you, you bought and sold things with God and with others. He never knew of the grace of God. And when he saw everybody moving on up in their Christian growth, Instead of him thinking, I'm just going to get in my Bible, I'm just going to sit and listen, I'm just going to start from zero and learn, he said, I'm going to jump the queue, and I want to be great. I want to have power. But you know what that was? That was bitterness. A desire to have what somebody else has, because you deserve it, is bitterness. And Peter looked right, I mean, if I was there, I'd go, Simon just misunderstood. But Peter says, no, I'm going to pray. You, you ought to die. Your money perish with you. And you need to pray that you get forgiven of your bitterness in the bondage you're in. Because he was in bondage. He didn't even know he was that way. It's a prison. And nobody can break you out but Christ, folks. It is absolutely the most awful way to live. It is also usually invisible, as I already said, to the person who is bitter. So that ought to scare us. So Paul says to the wife, as, as hard as it is to hear for the wife, submit, yield, let your husband lead. Just as hard as for a husband to hear, don't be bitter. Now I'll tell you why in just a moment, because I want to talk about the wife. This is how she stays free from bitterness. He says, go back to Colossians now. Colossians 3. Verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. What keeps it so a woman doesn't get bitter, that a wife doesn't get bitter at her husband? Well, yeah, but if she does everything, including yielding, you do it as to the Lord. Look at verse 23. And whatsoever you do, male or female, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as if you're doing it to who? And, and not unto men, not unto your husband. Because if you are doing it only for him, guess what? You'll stop. <laughs> You'll decide he ain't worth it. So the cure to a wife's freedom from bitterness is that she says, I just, I just serve the Lord. 
It is, submission is fit in the Lord. It is right to do. It is proper. It's not because your husband is worthy. It is proper. Somebody says, my husband has hurt my feelings. My, my husband doesn't even care. My husband has done everything to let me down and let our kids down. He doesn't even think about me. Well, you know what you're doing? You're thinking that malice is going on. You don't know. You probably do, but I won't go there. <clears throat> Here's the truth, okay? Paul could have told wives to not be bitter also. He could have said, and both of you, don't be bitter. Because believe me, both husband and wives do get bitter. Amen? Gentlemen, it's not just us guys. But instead, Paul gave a wife a different view. He said, change your glasses, ladies. Change how you see things. They talk about, you know, you're looking, through, you're looking at the world through rose-colored glasses. You ever heard that phrase? All right. Well, it's not a bad phrase when it comes to how you ought to look at your husband, how you ought to look at your kids, how you ought to look at your job. I hate my job. Change your glasses. I, I, I hate my brother. I hate my sister. Change the way you look at them. When you decide to see your husband as the head of your home, whether you like it or not, when you decide, I'm going to see him as, as the person that, that God put into my life and is the head of my family, that he was given to me from God, all of a sudden, you are submitting because it's fit in the Lord, because it's right, because you see it differently. You see it as, this is from God. When you see your problems and your hurts as God's way of teaching you to love and to forgive, listen, when, when everything goes wrong in your life, Who's still in charge? Hmm? I only hear one person. God is. Yeah, but the devil really hammered Job. Certainly he should have been able to be angry at Job. No, Job was a lot wiser than we. Job says, you know what? The person who allowed this thing to happen in my life, the person that seems to be bringing me through this valley is God, and I want to talk to him. That's good. Because when you start to say, when you start to realize that even my trouble, I got to talk to God about it. I, Job never wanted to try and, head, uh, and deal with the devil head on. He said, I just want to talk to God. I just want to try to understand this. And really what Job learned is what we need to learn, and that is we need to forgive. <clears throat> In Job chapter 40, it says one of the most amazing scriptures. You ready? The Lord turned the captivity of Job, of Job when he prayed for his friends. So his friends gathered around him like, like Indians around the wagon. His friends just fired everything hurtful against him. They said, you deserve this, Job. You brought this on yourself. You, 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 you must have done some secret sin. They never, meant, they never made one minute of his sorrow better. So guess what Job became better at? Them. He calls them, he says, miserable comforters are you all. He's just angry at the world. And the Lord's sitting there waiting after the Lord has talked to Job and said, you know what, Job, I'm not going to explain this to you, but there's something you need to do. You know what Job said? I know what I need to do. And he prayed for his friends. He forgave the ones who hurt him. And then the Lord turned everything around and he got double what he had before. So change how you view your friends as, this is an opportunity for me to forgive, not seek justice. This is an opportunity for me to understand grace and hold on to grace and give grace instead of seek revenge. 
change of glasses. That requires absolute trust. And most women think I, that the Bible, when it says, you know, submit to your husband, that means you've got to trust your husband. Oh, not on your life. He's not worth shooting. Amen. Who do we trust? We trust in the Lord with all our heart. Um, if you're married, you need to decide not to trust your husband. Love him, yes, but not don't trust him. You already tried that and found out he failed you. But you trust in the Lord. You know, God never asked you to totally trust your husband. He just asked you to trust him. Even when your husband's doing wrong. Did Abraham do right all the time that he was leading Sarah down to Egypt and around? Did Abraham always do right and worth trusting? No. And yet Sarah trusted the Lord. We're going to look at that scripture in a moment. Let's go ahead and go there. Hebrews chapter 11. To the right, Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 11. <clears throat> I'm dead serious. Uh, bitterness is one of those things that you will convince yourself, I'm not bitter. And I'm here to tell you, you are. Most probably more to more people than you even will ever admit, biblically. Not Psychologists look at you and go, you don't seem bitter at all. But if all of those people we went through had been asked, most of them would have never said, I'm not really bitter, I'm just frustrated. That's my favorite word. My wife will say, you're angry. I go, no, I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. <laughs> I'm just, just, mm -hmm. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. And she was delivered of a child when she was past age, well past age, because... She judged him faithful who had promised. Abraham couldn't perform anything. But God was faithful. She trusted in the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 3. Go to the right. Find that. 1 Peter 3. In verse 5. <clears throat> Speaking of Sarah still, for after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in their husbands. Is that what it says? Huh? who trusted in God, they adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands. How were they able to let him lead? Because they trusted in God, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Don't be afraid of trusting in God. Trust is a decision that you need to make every day. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. I guarantee you, folks, That'll save your home. The Bible talks to two different people. It doesn't say, husbands, make sure your wife obeys. It doesn't say, wives, make sure your husband loves you. It doesn't work that way. You can't do that. So, wife, you do right. And husband, you do right. And if one of you does right, you can save your marriage. If two of you do right, you can have heaven on earth. Husbands, stay clear of that bitterness. Now we can talk about when it says, and husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now, why do men get bitter? Most men, here's the reasons that I thought of, okay? You can come up with another dozen, that's your business. But men don't know how to deal with imperfect women. When you got married, gentlemen, you thought she was perfect, didn't you? And you listen, he's going to get married in March. I'm trying to prepare him. 
And he'll tell everybody, I married the perfect woman. I guarantee it. And that's good. That's good. But guys don't know how to handle a wife who's not perfect. Especially when you're dealing with an angry, critical woman. Not even Solomon could handle that. And it'll become bitterness if he's not careful. Most men don't know how to handle the problems of life today. The only, listen, most men growing up, and I'm, I, I'm just like, I want our men to, to, to find a, a, a wife, and I want our young ladies to find a husband, but I'm worried that there's almost nobody left worth shooting. Nobody well left who's not addicted to the PlayStation, who didn't grow up just watching Teletubbies and thinking that that's how you have joy. Most men don't know how to handle problems. You can't, you can't expect a 25-year-old who has grown up from Teletubbies and PlayStations and YouTubes, you can't expect them to be able to handle pressure. Scary. And most men only know how to respond to problems and, 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 uh, 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 and obstacles with anger. And I've watched that even in preaching. I've watched preachers. They think that the way you deal with this thing is with anger. That's dangerous. That is wrong. That's, listen, and I heard a great testimony. It was on the RU site of a guy who said, seven years, three months and six days, I've been free. And everybody goes, hey, man, hey, man, hey, man. You haven't heard what I'm free of. The pastor said, and they all quieted down. And he says, I'm free from bitterness and anger. Because he grew up watching Baptist preachers Stand and beat on the pulpit. And it's not wrong every once in a while to get a people's attention to make sure something is really made clear. And he said, I thought that that was real preaching. And all it was was anger. And he says, I've been delivered from anger and bitterness for seven years, three months, and six days, or whatever it is. Amen. Amen. And most men only know how to yell. Most men know how to, when the kids are running around, they don't know how to... Mm. Most parents... Their kids are running around, and they're just little demons. Finally, when they get on the nerve of either dad or mom, what do they normally do? They scream, stop running! And it's just anger, and the kids go, mm, and then start running off again. And it's anger, and that's how people deal with problems, and it is wrong. And some of you grew up with that kind of a home. And most men don't even know they are angry or bitter. And by the way, that's why men need preaching. They need so that they hear a man telling them what they're really like and how they need to get right and how the Lord Jesus is not a wimp to follow. He's the greatest man who ever, fall, uh, ever, ever led anybody, and he's worth following. And so make sure your husband gets to church because they don't even know why they're bitter if they are, and usually they are. Now, a husband can get frustrated, angry, wrathful, and bitter at their wife. And if they say they've never been angry and bitter at their wife, they're lying. They are. Sometimes you're angry and wrathful and bitter because your wife doesn't submit. You argue and you fight about everything. Sometimes you're bitter because there's sin in your own heart. And instead of you dealing with your heart, you take it out on your wife. And sometimes you're bitter because just satanic attacks and you just you feel like you're fighting blind, and you don't even know that you're that way. Just know this. Bitterness will change your behavior towards your wife. You'll end up ruling her like a tyrannical dictator. 
forcing your way. You'll behave, your behavior towards her will become ill-natured, hurtful. You'll speak to her in bitter words, denying her your affection, stopping any kind of kindness towards her. All of that is unchristian and unbecoming of the gospel. Believe me, when God puts words like these words, husbands, be not bitter against your wife, it, it's like, I better learn that because I'm too comfortable with it. I'm too comfortable with ignoring what the sin in my life so that I can feel what I feel. Ladies, that goes for you too. Go to Proverbs 15. Ladies, I'll give you a little secret. If your husband is a bitter man, an angry man, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, don't poison him. He's already poisoning himself. Proverbs 15, verse 1, a harsh anger turns away wrath. Isn't that what you believe? <laughs> Are you there? Proverbs 15, 1, a stabbing answer will turn away his wrath, right? A soft answer will turn to wrath, but grievous words will only stir up more anger. Check how you respond to somebody who's angry, ladies or gentlemen. How to handle the onset of bitterness. Go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Back to the left. We'll finish. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. <clears throat> I'm going to read it like you want it to say. Search my wife, O God. That's what we want it to say, amen. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. And believe me, he will when he makes her, gives her an opportunity to be upset at you and you find yourself on a trial. Try me and know my thoughts. Find out if there's any malice in there and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me out. Lead me now in the way everlasting. Go to Proverbs 14.10, to the right, Proverbs 14.10. I'm going to tell you this. If you're bitter for very long, you'll know it. Proverbs 14.10, the heart knoweth his own bitterness, and a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. Now, you know you're bitter. When you're bitter, you need to check your own hearts and your words. Those are all indicators. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. And this one, again, what did we say was the seed that results, that grows into a root that becomes a, a poison plant of bitterness? What is it? Malice. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse, what did I say? 5. Let's look at verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, out of line, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Read the next three words real loud. Thinketh no evil. Check your own heart. Find out if you're thinking evil. That's why the Bible says you can cast down imaginations. You deal with whatever goes on around right, wrong in your head, you won't have to deal with the wrong that went out with your hands and with your feet and with your mouth. Secondly, it is a command. Did you notice that? Be not bitter. We've got Ephesians that says, let all bitterness and wrath and 
uh, anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. It is a command. And really, you may not, your mind may just start going, and nobody can control the fact that you start thinking something. You can control whether you allow it to continue and become what you say. Because as soon as it is said and goes out of your mouth, you need to go, I can't believe, I'm sorry. I, what, you may deserve everything I want to say, but I'm not going to say it because evil speaking is the path to bitterness, and I want to love you for the rest of my life. I don't want to ever be bitter at you. Amen. It is a command. Third, confess your bitterness. Go to uh, Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 12. You find in your love becoming cold, it's because of one and only one reason. Because iniquity shall abound. You find yourself unable to confess and want to get right with your spouse and to get bitterness dealt with and the path to bitterness. If you find it hard, it's because what has grown cold? And why has love grown cold? Because there's sin in your life. You need to start confessing something. That's why God gave you that wife for you to be able to talk to and be able to confess it first to God and then to your spouse because if you don't want to go down that path and end up in the bondage of bitterness, drinking the poison of bitterness, dying a bitter man or woman, confess it as sin. Fourthly, get charity from the source. How many of us believe that we have enough love for our mate? Good, because we don't. We will never have the amount of love that they need and that especially that I should give them. If I'm ever going to love my wife like I should, I need to go to the source. Guess what? Have a walk with God. You yourself, if you are finding yourself malice, evil speaking, uh, yelling, mm, getting angry, I can guarantee you one thing. You are not reading your Bible. You are not walking with God. You are not having a sweet time of fellowship with Him. You are on your own, and the devil is making mince of you. So if you're going to have love for that hard-headed husband, you're going to love, have love toward that angry woman, <laughs> you're going to have to go to the source and get enough. Because the next thing says, go to Proverbs 10, 12, is you need to be able to cover, and you, 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 you are responsible for covering your spouse. Uh, Proverbs 10, 12. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12. Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth how many sins? I'll show you. The New Testament phrase for that is 1 Peter 4, 8. 1 Peter 4, 8. First Peter 4 and verse 8, this is the, where Peter quotes that. And above all things, have what kind of charity? Among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of all the sins, not the sins of the world, but the sins against you. That means be kind to your wife when she's being evil. Ouch. 
That means go out of your way that when she's hurt you, talking to men first, that you go ahead and cover it. I'll, you ever go into a restaurant and somebody says, I'll cover the bill. That's what he says. Out of love, I'll cover this hurt. That means forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, uh, 4.31 says, um, um, how does it start off? Be not bitter. No, no. I'm sorry. Let all bitterness and wrath, uh, sorry, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even if they're not asking for forgiveness, in your hearts, you've already forgiven them. You're covering them. Why? Because Christ forgave you. Do it continually. You see, I I hate the fact I have to keep doing it. If you're going to keep bitterness back, you're going to have to constantly. And you know what, gentlemen? You'll save your marriage. You'll save your marriage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in two verses, is the reality of what we're up against. We're up against a culture that says feminism is what women need. We're in a culture where men believe that to be men, they have to be angry. They have to be able to project their voice. They have to have muscles and fists and be able to fight. And they, they believe that our culture believes that that's what manhood is. And women feel they have to compete as an equal and fight just as much. And then when you mix two people like that together and try to get them married, Lord, they self-destruct. It's a shame that it comes into our own Christian homes. And it's all because our flesh does not want to hear, wives, submit to your husbands. Yield to them. Respect and reverence them as the head of your home. That's not a 21st century doctrine. That's a Bible doctrine. And it works, Lord, but it is hard. And we don't want to hear that we need to sacrifice as men our wants, our plans, even lose our own lives. If we're going to be married, if we're going to say that we love our wives, we need to lose just about everything for them. We don't want to hear that. But we desperately don't want to hear, be not bitter, because we feel like that's our right I'm putting up with this woman and I'm putting up with this problem. And if you're going to ask me to stay in this marriage, then I have the right to be married. And God, I pray you forgive me because I have no right to be bitter. More and more as I study, I'm afraid of it. And I'm sorry that I let it even get started with malice and evil speaking. And tonight I pray we would be very tender towards you and we would say, thank you, God, for cutting me where it hurts. Because if I'm ever, ever entrusted with a wife or a husband, I'd like to do it right, no matter how they hurt me. In Jesus' name, amen.